Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The Gist is sponsored by Citrix GoToMeeting. When meetings matter, millions choose GoToMeeting. Hold a meeting with anyone from the convenience of your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Get a free 30-day trial by visiting GoToMeeting.com and clicking the Try It Free button. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, June 9th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca, and I am here with the international umbrage-taking Iranian edition. Recently in Iran, members of the European Parliament met with heads of the Iranian Parliament. One member from Europe, a delegate from the Netherlands, Maritia Shaki, maybe, I hope, Maritia. She wore a very loose headscarf, her ears were exposed, her blonde hair was exposed, the Iranians, some Iranians were aghast, and listen, a very useful international dialogue ensued. Was it disrespecting the hosts? Were the hosts disrespecting the guests? What about feminism? What about free expression? As I said, a dialogue. But wait, there was another incident that I think we need to talk about. Joseph Wiedenholzer, the European Parliament's delegation member, described the meeting as, quote, remarkably informal and constructive discussions, including acknowledging long-standing areas of disagreement. What could be more diplomatic than that? Ah, but that's not the Joseph Wiedenholzer Vino from New York Times reporting. Apparently, the Iranians took umbrage at him, too. Nazim Online, an Iranian outlet, complained that the sturdy Austrian delegate, Joseph Wiedenholzer, casually swung his backpack over his left shoulder while shaking hands with a prominent Iranian parliament member. This act was seen as disrespectful. It shocked observers and the media, the website proclaimed. Now, sturdy Austrian delegate, I think this might have been the New York Times description. I looked up Wiedenholzer, looks almost exactly like a little bit younger Robert Loja. Sturdy was not code for overweight. The guy is the guy is sturdy. But you could tell that swinging a backpack, yeah, that would not only offend an Iranian, that would offend, I think, everyone who's taken mass transit. Fat man with a backpack. The warning over the MTA shouldn't be, there is construction up ahead. It should be, fat man with a backpack. Attention passengers, fat man with a backpack. <laughs> fat man also not making local stops, but please be advised, fat man with a backpack. Now this guy Wiesenholder, he's not fat, did have a backpack. I think it's a bona fide international incident. But I gotta say, even though I think the restrictions on women showing even parts of their hair is ridiculous and outdated and as culturally sensitive as I want to be, it does seem oppressive. 
you know, show a little backpack discretion, guy. Pretty soon we're going to get into the issue of a mom spreading. On the show today, I spiel about the upcoming King v. Burwell decision and how opponents and proponents of Obamacare are saying precisely the wrong things. And now, in our recurring contemplation of that which is or is not bullshit, Maria Konnikova comes by to talk sleep. Fresh from a conference which was unbelievably exciting and therefore ironic, Maria Konnikova, who plays Is That Bullshit with us, is here to talk about the issue of sleep deprivation. Hello, Maria. Hello, Mike. And let me tell you, though you already know this, you cover science for The New Yorker, you have a PhD in psychology. That is accurate. (laughs) You wrote a book about thinking like Sherlock Holmes, and now your new book is called The Confidence Game, and it can be ordered through a major website that's named after a river. And other places, right? And other places. Okay, very good. And another website that's named after a feature of the rural landscape and the general word for dukes and duchesses (laughs) and kings. Okay, anyway. Sleep. That took me a second. Yeah, (laughs) because you're not all there. You're not 100% today. You didn't get enough sleep last night. You're sleep deprived. Is that what sleep deprived means? It is. So sleep deprived means that you slept less than for you. For you specifically, you needed to sleep. Mm-hmm. For most people, and right now I'm talking about adult people, we can talk a little bit how this varies with age, that will be somewhere between seven and a half and a little over nine hours yeah. will be the adequate amount of sleep. It is crazy. People always say, oh, I got my eight hours sleep, but there are some people who need nine, and there most are, of those yeah. people probably don't know or realize <gasps> it. And they're, so does that mean they're constantly sleep deprived? Yes, it actually does. And there are lots of people who say, I got my eight hours yeah. or... I don't need eight hours, I need seven, and they really need eight. Most people think they need less sleep than they actually do. There was this wonderful study that tried to find, are there people who actually don't need to sleep a lot? So they did this call you know, all over the world. If you are one of these people who you know, is a short sleeper, you only need two hours, four hours, five hours of sleep a night, get in touch with us, mm-hmm. we wanna study you. And how many of those people do you think actually ended up being those short sleepers? How many? About 1%. Wow. Because, you know, <laughs> famously, there are a number of inventors and CEOs. CEOs always brag about how they can operate on less sleep. And it was either Edison or Benjamin Franklin or both who needed, you know, only a few hours of sleep a night. You're saying that's wildly overblown. Yes. Most people, the vast majority of people cannot function on less than their designated number of hours, and that is hardly ever below seven and a half hours. How does sleep deprivation work? Is it cumulative? If I don't get an hour today and tomorrow and the third day, is that the same as me not getting three hours on Wednesday? Yes, it is cumulative. According to the most recent studies, getting five to six hours of sleep a night for two weeks is the equivalent of being awake for 24 hours straight. Wow. Wow. Can you reset it in one day? No. And you can't even reset it in a weekend. Can you reset it in a lifetime? I you mean, can. You can. How do you do it? How do you reset it? If you're constantly sleep deprived, and we're using the phrase, I guess, advisedly, though by the end, we'll decide if that's bullshit. If you're constantly sleep deprived, what do you do? You change your schedule so that you can consistently get more sleep. The most important thing is that 
if you think that you're going to catch up by sleeping in on the weekend, you end up hurting yourself more than you're helping because, yes, you catch up on some sleep, but you're resetting your clock so that it's yeah. going to be even more difficult for you to get up on Monday morning. One of the things that I found that I didn't know before was that your wake-up time matters more than your go-to-bed time in terms of your circadian clock and how it's set. And so it's more important to wake up at a consistent time. And of course, for us, it's it's much easier to you know, go to bed late and wake up late on the weekends because we want to stay out. But that's not the best way to catch up on sleep. The interesting thing is that when people come into a lab mm-hmm. and say, I've gotten the amount of sleep I need. Mm-hmm. And the researchers will give them explicit instructions like for the for two weeks, please sleep every night the amount that you need. Try to basically sleep whatever, however long you want. Um, so they'll come in and they'll say, you know, I was sleeping for X number of hours a night, seven. I'm perfectly rested. This is exactly how I function. And then what they'll do is they'll let them sleep. And they find that that first night they slept 10 hours, 11 hours, that means that they were incredibly sleep deprived. Second night, nine hours. (laughs) And then finally, they'll average out to much more than those seven hours that they thought they needed. So we really are very, very bad at knowing what well-rested means for us. Now, I always read that the definition or a definition of getting Mm -hmm. enough sleep is waking up without the aid of an alarm. And what is this unicorn, fanciful, mythological idea of waking up without an alarm? I've never woken up without an alarm or an alarm in the form of a playful five-year-old. Well, that means that you probably have never quite gotten enough that sleep. could be true. <laughs> the reason they say that is because your body naturally wakes you up usually out of the lightest stages of sleep. Mm -hmm. So if you wake up without an alarm, you not only wake up when your body is telling you to, but you're physiologically totally ready to wake up. And so you'll have less sleep inertia, which is this grogginess that people have when they wake up. And it can last for up to two hours before you're fully functional, especially if you're sleep deprived. You will always have sleep inertia, even if you woke up without an alarm, but it's going to be much shorter. If you normally do get, if you're a good sleeper, you can normally get your however much, eight, nine, and then one day you get five or six. Should you say you're sleep deprived? Is your functioning going to really fall off that for next that, day? For, for that next day, yes, it will. The interesting thing is you will know it. Yeah. So if you've only been sleep deprived for one day, you will say, oh, I'm really tired. I'm not at my best. You know, maybe we should reschedule this meeting. Maybe I shouldn't work on this book right now. Maybe we should tape this segment tomorrow because I'm just... I'm not 100% right now. If that goes for two days, you might still not realize it. After three days, you won't. So what happens is our self-perception, if you think of it as a graph, first they're going in tandem of how bad you are and how you think you are, and then they just start to really separate. And your perception stays level, but your functioning gets worse and worse and worse, and you don't know it. So how does sleep deprivation show up? Well, um, once again, for every person, it's slightly different, but things that will most likely happen, your reaction time is going to go up, which means you'll be slower to react to certain things. Wait, doesn't that mean your reaction time goes down? 
No, so that means if your reaction time is, goes down, yeah. that means okay. it's shorter. Right. That means that you're actually reacting faster. That's true. Interesting. If it's the like reaction, golf. Okay. <laughs> if the reaction I time is... I would have caught that if I got more sleep last night. All right. <laughs> if the reaction time is going up, it's bad. Sometimes um, with the NFL, they say this guy's reaction time is off the charts. That's not good, is it? Well, I think they mean it in a good way. Yeah, okay. <laughs> off the charts, down, right? I so, guess down, yeah. yeah. I'd like to hear one guy clarify. Oh, you mean on the downward side. <laughs> what? Huh? All right. Cancel the segment. <laughs> Um, your hand-eye coordination and your fine motor skills, as you pointed out, will probably deteriorate a bit. Your problem-solving ability will get worse. Mm. And your creative problem-solving ability, like if I give you an insight problem and you have to try to find the insight, that's going to go down. And your memory is going to really suffer. If you didn't sleep well last night, you're not going to remember the things you learned yesterday as well. And you're going to be worse at picking up new things today. Couple ideas associated with sleep. People say you get your second wind. Is that a real thing? It is a real thing. The way that our sleepiness works is that we have two drives. We have the homeostasis drive, which basically the longer you've been awake, the sleepier you get because your body says, awake, 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 I need to go to sleep. Then you have your circadian rhythm, which tries to counteract that because otherwise everyone would be falling asleep in the middle of the day, which some of us do anyway. So your circadian rhythm says, no, 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 no. We're going to stay awake. And so your circadian rhythm goes up and down. And there is, in fact, a point where, because it starts very low when your homeostatic drive is at the lowest point in the morning because you wake up completely well-rested, your circadian rhythm doesn't have to tell you to stay awake, right? So at that point, it's kind of saying, oh, you know, you're good. The homeostatic drive is taking care of you. And then throughout the day, your homeostatic drive is going to rev up because you're getting more tired. The circadian rhythm is going to do the same thing. But at some point, they're going to cross where your circadian rhythm gets a little bit stronger. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be your second wind. And then your circadian rhythm is going to go back down because it wants you to go to sleep at night. So there will be a few hours in there, probably between five and seven o'clock, as I've learned, you will get a slightly second wind so that, you know, maybe around four or five, you'll be so dead tired. And then suddenly, instead of going to bed, you'll be like, oh, I'm revved up. I'm ready to go. Huh. So the other idea that people sometimes express is the idea of being overtired. Have you heard of this? When you're so tired at night, then maybe an unwanted second wind comes in. Like if I don't put my kids to bed at the time Mm -hmm. that I know they want to be put to bed and I miss a little bit of a window, they'll really struggle against it, you know, for an hour. Yeah, no, there's definitely your body does try to compensate. It's like, okay, well, you're not letting me sleep, so I'm going to try to compensate. And some people who are really, really tired go into almost manic states Mm -hmm. because their body is getting really jittery and really trying to compensate for that. So being overtired can actually manifest itself, especially in children, as hyperactivity. Yes. And kids who are sleep-deprived are often misdiagnosed as having ADHD Yes. and get prescribed Ritalin, even though the problem is that they're sleep-deprived. On the other hand, as a parent, if you take advantage of this period, they can learn all the state capitals between the hours of 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. Interesting parenting. This is true. Okay, so I know what the answer is going to be, but we need a couple of these answers because a lot of times we find bullshit. We call bullshit on things. So it's kind of nice to have one of these, but sleep deprivation, is that bullshit? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Maria Konnikova, she is the author of The Confidence Game. She plays Is That Bullshit with us. She writes for The New Yorker. She gets her 40 winks, maybe sometimes 39. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. Hold 
a meeting. Let's talk about holding a meeting and things you hold. You put it on hold. A senator can put an appointment on hold. Holds aren't good things. Hold on. Hold your horses. If you have horses, you want them to run free. Well, that's what Citrix GoToMeeting does. It takes on the concept of a hold and injects freedom into it because it's a smarter way to meet. With GoToMeeting, you can meet from any computer, tablet, or smartphone. Not any tablet, not stone ones, not cuneiform ones, not the Decalogue that Moses took, but you know, a smart tablet, a computery tablet. And you could do so without travel expenses, without the hassle of traffic. You could join by clicking a link. There are no signups, there are no speed bumps. You can share screens to present, review, and get feedback in real time because with GoToMeeting, everyone sees what you're seeing so your team can get on the same page and get going and not hold on. I want you to sign up for GoToMeeting and try it today. Try it free for 30 days. You got nothing to lose. Visit GoToMeeting.com and click the Try It Free button. Do it now and have your first meeting up and running in 30 minutes. That's GoToMeeting.com for your free 30-day trial. And now the spiel. Burwell or not so well? John Thune is a Republican senator from South Dakota. If you didn't know who John Thune was and you saw John Thune, you would probably say, that guy looks like a Republican senator from South Dakota. And he is. As a Republican senator from South Dakota, John Thune does not like Obamacare. He says it's bad for you, it's bad for your family, and those who say it's good, they are wrong. It's bad. Take it from me, John Thune, Republican senator from South Dakota. As a Republican senator from South Dakota, Thune is looking to the Supreme Court to dismantle the federal exchanges in Obamacare. This is the crux of the King v. Burwell suit that could be handed down in days. Opponents of Obamacare brought the suit to try to hurt Obamacare. As I said, they are opponents. They think Obamacare is a bad idea. You got those facts, Thune? doesn't like Obamacare, lawsuit challenges Obamacare, Thune likes the lawsuit. But because tweets last only 140 characters, Thune, Republican from South Dakota, could not say all that. Instead, here's what he tweeted. Six million people risk losing their health care subsidies, yet POTUS, President of the United States, continues to deny that Obamacare is bad for the American people. All right. Let us kindly characterize this as a disingenuous argument, because it seems to be saying that a flaw of Obamacare is that all these people may lose the subsidies, yet Thune thinks that people should lose their subsidies, and also Thune is doing something, supporting this lawsuit, so that people do lose their subsidies. Philip Bump, writing in the Washington Post, made an analogy. He said, Thune's argument is akin to saying that the free car you won on The Price is Right is a bad car because his buddy stole the engine. It's an okay analogy. I don't know why I'd throw The Price is Right in there. Just say, The car you own is a clunker because his buddy stole the engine, right? But more clearly is an analogy like a mafioso who threatens a store owner saying you better pay protection money or someone could get hurt. Or or how about this analogy to describe what Thune was doing there? It's a little like Luke Skywalker tweeting, I don't know why Darth Vader is trying to convince you the Death Star is so great. There's a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port. 
Shaft leads directly to the reactor system. Okay, maybe that's not great. Then you open up the whole can of worms about the phrase established by the state. Was it established by the empire? What about the Jawa-run exchanges? Tatooine went with empire-run exchanges. The forest mood of Endor went with their own exchanges. But the mostly wood-paneled mood of Endor went with the empire exchanges. It's a whole mess. All right, I got a better analogy. I'm trying to think of the best analogy here. Here are the elements you want to be incorporated in the analogy. You want an invested party telling innocence about a flaw when really he is the flaw. Okay, so maybe, okay, this is better. And it's also Star Wars related. I don't know why so many people were expecting so much from the Star Wars prequels. Their plots are a muddle and Jar Jar Binks is ill-conceived. Sincerely, George Lucas. I don't know. Let's get away from Star Wars. Maybe Thune's tweet is like a grapefruit warning you that the fruit salad isn't sweet enough. Hmm? Or how about this tweet? This plan to build walled cities to keep out the bubonic plague was a hashtag fail from the start. And that tweet came from the account of a mid-14th century French rat. But before I descend into an M.C. Escher-esque never-ending analogy etching, let me move on to a guy who disagrees with Thune. He also probably didn't like Jar Jar Binks. This guy's name is Barack Obama. He said this about the upcoming King v. Burwell decision. This should be an easy case. Uh, Frankly, it probably shouldn't even been taken up. Uh, And uh, since we're going to get a ruling pretty quick, uh, I think it's important for us to uh, go ahead and assume that uh, the Supreme Court's going to do what most legal scholars who've looked at this would expect them to do. So Obama's body language was kind of a sigh. He was explaining, look, we know what the right decision here is. We all know that. And maybe it's just because he was speaking at the G7 conference the other day before all those flags, including the EU's flags. He was thinking about all those other countries and they all have universal health care and they don't have to put up with this sort of thing. You got Canada's straightforward single payer to Germany's combination of statutory health insurance and private health insurance. But he just kind of sighed and said, oh, come on. But listen, that's not what you do. As every lawyer who's ever given a press conference on the steps of the courthouse knows, when the judge or jury is deliberating, you don't insult them. You don't say, only an idiot would decide against me. That's not how you say it. What you say is this. Look, I know the learned men and women of the Supreme Court, but really, okay, the women, they're in the bag for us. But okay, the men, the learned men, like chiefly among them, Anthony Kennedy, or maybe John Roberts, as happened before. Okay, maybe John Roberts. But I know these wise and erudite men, they know the law. Hey, not up to me to tell them the law. Am I right? Am I right? I mean, yeah, I did a little law professoring here, but I never wore the robe. Know what I'm saying? So it seems to me that outlawing all these state exchanges at this late hour, after almost 10, not quite 10, but almost 10 million Americans get health care, doesn't seem constitutionally prudent. Doesn't seem to me, humble POTUS, me, guy who appoints people to be on the Supreme Court, me. But who knows? We'll see how it goes. Maybe my entire legacy will be undone by a judicial fiat. Maybe it won't. I'm just a deeply humble guy, just a big old fan of the Supreme Court and all they do. Oh, and then the president would add, and as for the Thune analogy, it's like my jeans tweeting, I don't know why everyone calls the president fashionable. And that is it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi once wore inline skates to meet members of the Japanese diet. 
Joel Meyer, our managing producer, greatly offended the ruling junta of a Central Asian dictatorship when he donned skorts for a plenary session. Executive producer Andy Bowers created quite the faux pas when he entered the Icelandic all-thing sporting a fanny pack and one of those helmets that holds two beers with straws coming out. You know what? You could sign up for Facebook on Yo. You get the app Yo, and then you sign up for podcast, and we will Yo you when the show is ready. Or Facebook, facebook.com slash gist. Now, the gist is still apologizing for the time it mistook an audience with the Pope and brought a lighter, a beach ball, and a thermos full of soup. It gets cold in there, Pontiff. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeffrey Rosen, president and CEO of the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia, the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. On this week's We the People constitutional podcast, I'm joined by Richard Pildes from the New York University School of Law and Nicholas Quinn Rosencrantz from the Georgetown University Law Center. We'll discuss the week's big cases at the Supreme Court involving threats on Facebook and alleged religious discrimination at Abercrombie & Fitch. All this and more on this week's We the People constitutional podcast. <laughs>